Sup, freaks? It's your boy Marty Bent here to introduce this rip of Tales from the Crypt. Matt and I sat back down with our good friend Arbed Out for a holiday special. It's not a Christmas or New Year special this year. We decided to do a Halloween special. And since it's a Halloween special, we talked a lot about a lot of spooky topics in Bitcoin. Maybe uh, topics that people sort of avoid because it's like, ah, if we ask these questions, we're going to find out things that we don't like. Uh, we, we talked about a lot of Bitcoin's problems or, or problems around Bitcoin that need to be solved. And I think it's going to be a, a very illuminating episode for a lot of you freaks. And I think uh, it's a very important conversation to have. And I think you all will be... I don't know. Some of you will be disappointed. I think some of you will be happy to learn that uh, this one came with no alcohol. We we were sober ripping this one, and so therefore there were no naps uh, taken during this. And it's it's a bit shorter than uh, episodes of years past with our friend Arbed out, but I think the content is incredible as always. He's a mensch, uh, and I'm very happy that he is now working at a Bitcoin-only company. And not chain, Unchained Capital. Disclaimer, they're a sponsor of the pod. You're, you're about to hear the ad read. But enjoy this rip, freaks. Share it. Let us know what you think. Don't get too spooked out as we head into Halloween. Okay. This rip was brought to you by our good friends at the motherfucking cash app. I don't have a voice. Went to a wedding. Lost my voice. <coughs> cash app. Cash app's making it easy to stack sats. Very easy. You can DCA into it. You can get paychecks direct deposited into the Cash App. Uh, it's got its boost program. It's a beautiful app. It really is. Beware of withdrawal limits and stuff like that. Make sure you get your sats off the app. But if you, you want to access sats, Cash App makes it very easy. You can set buy limits or you can set like thresholds you want to buy. Or you want to buy like a little dip and you want to set it and forget it and just wait for it to get there. Maybe it never will, but maybe it does. It'll automatically fill your order. You can do that now on the Cash App. Little Birdie told me there's some new wallet functionalities coming soon too. Just be on the lookout for that. If you haven't if you haven't downloaded the app, make sure you do so. Using the code stacking sats, you're gonna get ten dollars. Ten dollars gonna go to our good friends at Owls Lacrosse. That's Owls Lacrosse. Woo! Woo! Owls Lacrosse. This rip was also brought to you by our good friends at Unchained Capital. Unchained Capital is here to help you eliminate single points of failure in your custody model. All right, this personifies itself in there. Multisig Volt, which is a collaborative custody model, which you engage with Unchained in a two or three multisig signature. You hold two keys, Unchained holds one. Uh, you can you always have full control over your Bitcoin as long as you have the two keys that you are supposed to control. Uh, if you're ever in a pinch and you need Unchained to be there to be the second in the two or three multisig sig, multisig wallet or transaction excuse me they are there for you they have a white glove concierge service going to take you from zero to having a thousand cuck bucks worth of sats in the vault uh, they're going to have multiple video conference calls with you they're going to get you comfortable with multi-sig comfortable with the vault they're going to get you hardware wallets going to get you comfortable with setting those up and uh, securing and uh, securing your your backups your, your seed phrases they're going to teach you how to back up your derivation pass for the multi-sig vault as well. And then on top of that, you're going to get 50 bucks off if you tell them that TFTC sent you. So go check it out at unchained.com and check out everything they have going on beyond the vault product. They've got an incredible suite of products. They just added an IRA service. Uh, they got an incredible blog. They've got their lending desk. Um, go check it out, unchained.com. This group is also brought to you by our good friends at Compass Mining. Compass Mining is here to get more individuals into the mining game. The way you do it, you go to compassmining.io 
and you can go pick out an ASIC, buy that ASIC, and you have options there. Once you buy that ASIC, you can have it sent to your home, directly to your home. And Compass Mining has an at-home mining team, a support team there. Uh, the number one, get you your miner, send it to you. And then number two, walk you through the process of setting that miner up at your house or wherever you're, you're plugging it in. They're going to teach you the electrical infrastructure necessary to make sure that your your miner is working and actually functional. They're going to teach you how to link into the uh, miner's IP, how to point that hash rate at a mining pool, and how to set up a wallet to receive the payouts from the mining pool. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, also, if you don't want to do the at-home mining route uh, and you're comfortable with hosting, you can buy a miner via Compass and then pick a hosting facility with competitive electricity rates. They'll get that miner. They'll send it to the hosting facility, get it plugged in. They'll start streaming sats to wallets of your choice. Go check all this out at compassmining.io. Last but not least, this rip was brought to you by good friends at Brains. Brains. Brains is here to help you stack more sats via your ASICs, and they do that with their Brains OS Plus auto-tuning firmware, which gets into your ASIC. It finds different hashing chips that have higher frequency and separates it from those uh, it doesn't separate them, but it, it focuses um, you know, the electricity and the hashing on the higher frequency chips so that you can produce more hashes and therefore more sets for your ASICs. If you have an ASICs that's compatible with Brains OS Plus and you're not running it, you're leaving sats on the table, go to brains.com. It's B-R-A-I-I-N-S.com and check out which uh, mining models are uh, available to have brains downloaded on them. What's miners coming soon? S19s uh, in private beta. I think it's getting rolled out as we speak as well. Uh, what else? If you point to your brains, your ASICs running brains OS plus firmware at slush pool, you're going to get 0% pool fees. It's a nice little vig there. You don't have to point it at slush pool. You can point at any pool you want if you're running brains OS plus, but if you do, you're going to get 0% pool fees at slush pool um, they're looking to hire rust developers uh, system admins and people who have worked on hardware in the past incredible team so go check all this out at brains.com b-r-a-i-i-n-s.com uh, check out all their products check out check out slush pool check out brains os plus firmware check out their mining profitability calculators their their blogs are doing incredible things they're bitcoin only business and they're focused on making sure that miners have the best tools they possibly can to stack as many sats as possible it's a beautiful thing Enjoy this rip, freaks. Sorry, it's a little late. Dickie! You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Probably should be. Probably should be. I'll speak up for you, old man. Appreciate it. Uh, you gotta get a hearing aid. You're getting old. old. I am getting old. You're getting into Bitcoin-only jobs. We're all getting fucking old. Right? Don't age me. I'm having fun getting old with you guys. I got to say that. Yeah. Cheers to that. Well, old man, bring that mic closer to you, please. You might not be able to hear me. But we want to make sure the freaks can hear you at least. All right. Are we? We're not recording yet, are we? No, we're recording right now. We've oh. been recording for 27 seconds. You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> <laughs> let's fucking go. All right, then let's kick it off right from the beginning. Sup, freaks. <laughs> <laughs> we are in my uh, screen and porch in Austin, Texas. Uh, what time is it? We're about 1,500. 15 hours away, or 
Yeah, 15 hours ago, we recorded a podcast at the Unchained Capital offices. Rabbit hole recap, but uh, this is a holiday special, a spooky holiday special. Halloween special. A Halloween Ooh. special. Um, we're here with Arbed Out, obviously, if you didn't read uh, the title of this podcast. and What's today's date? 22nd, October 22nd. So this will be released in nine days. In nine days, yes. Or maybe I might release it Saturday, the day before Halloween. We'll do it on Hollow's Eve. Mischief night. I Mischief like it. Mischief night, yes. Uh, should we have a theme? Should we have like a spooky theme? Like what scares the shit out of you when it comes to Bitcoin? People thinking that the ETF is the same thing as Bitcoin? That's pretty spooky. Yeah, it is very spooky. It's a shit coin. It is, it is worse than a shit coin. We had this discussion last night. Like I would take wrapped BTC over, over this ETF. 100%. Yeah. Think of how perverse that is. There's some subset of the population that is getting access to shares of the, BTF, uh, the ETF getting exposure to it and thinking that it has anything to do with bitcoin and the perverse thing is what's your what's the prize you win from the etf more fiat currency yeah a debasing cuck buck right yeah Uh. and then people say like they use it as an excuse oh it's like an easy way to get into your ira but like you can use unchained capital right now easily and hold the actual keys and do the ira so i don't even think that's a good fucking excuse no i mean again we said this last night uh i think people look like oh i have my 401k it's like not giving financial advice but i liquidated my 401k and just have been stacking sats uh since then i uh, love it that was years ago i've also had <laughs> never had a job that allowed me to contribute to a 401k in quite some time so um, that's another aspect of it too. Maybe I'm a, a bit biased because of that, but yeah, I, I think uh, it is spooky that the ETF uh, is going to swindle a lot of a lot of people out there. I guess some people have like the way the company manages their 401k. Like the, the ETF is the only way they can get exposure with their 401k, right? I think that's true. Yeah. Well, some people have been using GBTC as well, right? Right, but GBTC is even worse, right? <laughs> yeah. Now it is, yeah. It's like trading at, I wonder what discount it will be at in eight days. It's going to be an ETF, dude. They're rolling it over. Oh, goodness. You know, it's fine if you know what you're doing. What you're doing is making a bet on the price of Bitcoin that pays out in dollars, which I guess, I don't know, it's the equivalent of playing fantasy football versus actually getting on the field for the Eagles, you know? There's some sort of relationship there. Just don't think when you're playing fantasy football that you're the starting QB. No. You're completely divorced from the experience. You derive none of the benefits from of Bitcoin. You don't have permissionless money. You don't have self-custody. You're just, if you're lucky, getting a few more dollars in your IRA. I'm not going to tell you to go buy Tesla instead, but you should probably explain to yourself why you're not buying Tesla instead. But, but doesn't, like, there's a huge aspect of this market already. I mean, I don't even know if we could call them Bitcoin users, but that just, like, keep their Bitcoin on KYC exchanges and then, you know try and time the local tops and local bottoms and they're in the fiat mindset like that's got to be a huge part of our market share easily but that's preferable to the et like i'd rather f- people do that than why the is ET- it preferable just in case they have an aha moment and they realize oh maybe i should hold this they have the ability to if do the so. exchange allows withdrawals right yeah if it's something like robin hood which is trying to apparently apparently they have a million people on their waiting list to be able to withdraw withdraw cryptocurrency yeah. I'm of two minds with this, because on the one hand, you can't help it. Those people are going to show up no matter what. You know, it's the same thing. It's the third time we're doing this, so I'm going to make another early internet analogy. You know, if everybody who needed to get access to the internet had to have the same user experience as the early days where you had to set up your own router and your own firewalls and know all the ins and outs of, like, 
PPP, point-to-point protocol, and setting up a modem and all that, the internet would never have achieved the critical mass that it's gotten to today. Some people need that, you know, just log in and click a button and get shares that somebody else holds experience. I understand that. But on the other hand, the more there are of them and the less there are of us, there's a tension between, you know, the entire ecosystem sort of ends up catering to the people who are fine with custody. So what does that look like? Are we going to have less vendors shipping us nodes? How many different vendors are there that are shipping like Raspberry Pi nodes? There's Noddle. There's well, like pre-builds. Yeah. Noddle, Ronin Dojo, Umbrel is uh, f- uh, my node still around? My node shipping pre-builds. Uh, Start nine shipping Start pre-builds. Nine. That's a pretty healthy ecosystem of people that are enabling self-sovereignty. I mean, healthy is like a strong word there. It could be healthier, sure. But, it, but there's like no margins. It's like a kill. It's like a... Yeah, I think Umbrel ends up cannibalizing that because, you know... Well, that's why Umbrel has such a restrictive license, right? Because they're trying to make the app store the monetization and, like, the additional services. Like, Umbrel has a very slick um, encrypted lightning backups. And, like, I don't Mm -hmm. think they charge for it yet, but, like, they could easily get away with charging $2 a month for that. And they charge in sats, and then you already have the wallet. already. You pay with Lightning, and you just pay them, right? Yeah. So that's, like, the monetization model they're going for. The actual hardware, and you see a lot, like... Um, well, you can download Umbrella on any hardware you want it to, right? Yeah, exactly. But, and then, and, but they still get the App Store revenue in the future, right? That's, that's like, the, their monetization scheme. And then the other one is, like, you have someone like Noddle, who, like, clearly it kind of seems to me that they're... The consumer product, the the node, is almost like a, like to give back to the community. It's like a PR kind of. I mean, PR is a bad word for it, but it's it's like an it's like an image thing. It's the brand. It's 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 their ethos. It's a message. But like the Noddle Cloud, which is like their similar offering to like what Voltage does, is probably the money maker in the long term if they're going to be successful. Like I don't know. And like we kind of see that in the computer market, right? Like it's, they all cannibalized each other and then Apple just came in at the high end and like cleans up the majority of the profits. This brings a question to mind and I want to ask you both what you think of this because I'm still thinking it through. What's the trust model you'd have for sharing a node with someone else? Because when I think about this, I think of like, I wouldn't trust a random internet access point at, you know, a McDonald's or wherever without going through a VPN and making sure that a, my information was uh, protected by HTTPS and all that. I would be concerned about sending my credentials to like log into my email over some untrusted network. But I'd be fine doing it in my parents' house because, you know, my parents are my web of trust. Mm-hmm. What does that look like for Bitcoin? Would you guys be fine, for example, signing transactions and broadcasting them at each other's house, at each other's nodes? You know each other pretty well at this point. Is that Personally, I would be. Um... I think Matt would have a different answer. Prisoner's dilemma, Matt. Betray him. Well, light, Lightning is a little <laughs> bit different trust model, right? But like, if we're talking about like Electrum servers, yeah. Like, I I think like even if it's just a NIM that I'm like f- friendly with, like I can use his like Tor, Tor address for his Electrum Rust server and just hook it into Sparrow or something, and like that trust model is not the worst trust model in the world. Um, obviously, you don't want to just do that with like anybody, but. I mean, it's like the Uncle Jim thing we talked about, right? Yeah, and then that model, like, even if it's a NIM that you're trusting and you've never met, maybe they are malicious, but like it's like if you're just going to connect and trust Electrum servers, you're essentially doing that already anyway. So yeah, at least it's like distributed more, 
right? So it's, you know, maybe 10 people are using that Electrum server rather than 10,000. But then on Lightning, it's, it's, a diff- it's a whole different ballgame because, like, if Marty's trusting my node, not like my node, the company, but like my, my fucking node, and he's running his Lightning on there... I can do so many different things to to steal his funds. With the Electrum server, it's more of a privacy yes. thing. I mean, you can tell him he didn't get a transaction that he got, but he can always just connect to another server and, and see he got that transaction. Or my state history is on the Lightning node, and you control that. Right, and your funds are. Yeah, I think too. that's right, yeah. And I can just disconnect you and then fucking broadcast a bad state or whatever. I can do all this different stuff, even if I don't have access to your keys. Which is where the like, which I kind of feel like is where you were coming from a little bit. There is these cloud node providers. Yeah. Um, they're like technically non-custodial. They don't have access to your keys. Everything's um, all the data is encrypted. It's all encrypted, but you're running on their hardware, um, and there's all sorts of malicious things they could do. But to me, what it, it is is like a, it's kind of like a regulatory arbitrage play because it's technically not custodial where they like fill the gap of where a noob might come in and have a small amount of funds on like custodial wallets right and the custodial wallets all have to implement kyc on a long enough time scale but maybe the cloud services don't I and mean, even in the cloud service model if they did fuck with their hardware like say they like turned your node off and you didn't have access you could always access your private keys and your state and your history and upload that on hardware that you own yourself. It would just be an inconvenience temporarily, correct? I think, I think if like a voltage or like a Noddle cloud, like wanted to take your money, like they could take your money. Interesting. Maybe not, maybe not the funds you have in the on-chain portion of the lightning wallet, but, Almost definitely the funds on the... Would they be able to take portion. it or would they be just be able to have you lose it? To them. They'd be able to drain <laughs> it. Would they be able to drain it to themselves? I mean, I, I, I don't know enough about the technical specifics of each of these implementations, but there's definitely... A, it's, not, it's trust minimized. It's not like trustless. There's a, I mean, just think about like the early days like where every Bitcoiner learned... That, like, if you're running an exchange, you can't just, like, have the hot wallet on a server in some, like, VPS somewhere. Oh, this gets right to it, the threat model idea, because it ties into, you know, the question for those early exchanges like, is, when does the amount of funds in the hot wallet make sense to exit scam, right? Right. So, for Voltage, I mean, does it make sense for them to try to screw you over for $50, $100? Depends on what their time preference is. If they realize that, you know, numbers are always going up and we're eventually going to take over the dollar sign for Satoshi's, then maybe. But probably in the short term, it makes more sense to them for them to operate a profitable business and to play nicely with you and do their best to make sure that your $50 is... Uh, 100%. Same with, like, the custodial wallets, yeah. right? But the custodial wallets have to implement KYC, while these services might not have to implement KYC. And I keep trying to make the distinction between Lightning and on-chain, because, like, for instance, like, you could use Voltage, you could spin up a BTC pay server super easily, pay them $30 a month or whatever it is, uh, you know, run a beef steak or something like that, through that, and... It, all the funds could go directly to your hardware wallet. Like you'd have no funds on the, on the server, even though you're running BTC pay server on their server. Mm-hmm. But Lightning has this hot wallet requirement where it's got to always be online. Your funds always have to be hot. You know, the server's got to be running. And that's where like all the... 
risk yeah. comes in. Yeah. I will note, since you just gave me the opportunity for that, Matt Corallo sent out a email to the Lightning Dev mailing list, I think last night, you know, brainstorming ideas for how could two Lightning users uh, manage payments between each other if one of them is offline. Spoiler alert, even less trust minimized. There's, It's still an extra layer of trust ends up being involved with LSPs. Uh, I'll leave it to you to at home to Google the mailing post list. Matt Corallo, I think it's uh, a yeah, mobile like a trusted routing, routing node in the middle, right? Is yeah, that yeah. what it is? Yeah, that's the basic idea. That like does a rendezvous and waits for the other. And that routing node's online, yeah. but one of the peers isn't. A yeah. rendezvous and voice, I love those. Yeah. Uh, would that be a different? You're gonna say trampoline routing too? <laughs> to your two favorite buzzwords. Would that would that risk model be any different than like a watchtower? Setup? Are you trusting that watchtower? To Something a similar, a third yeah. party in the mix that is trying to make sure that the two peers play nice. Yeah. Watchtower is less trust. Yeah. yeah, because the watchtower, the watchtower doesn't have access to funds. Right. I think the LSP. Yeah, because the LSP is acting as a, a essentially. A, a quick they're like custodian. keeping the ledger. Yeah. 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 Well, we're not going to use the word custodian. Yeah, a, 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 a what did you say? Quasi custodian? Is that what you said? A deliverer, a delivery man of the funds. It's like a quote unquote non custodial. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fascinating stuff. Yeah. We're finding out a lot about, I think, how the term custodial can be sort of arbitrage, for lack of a better way to put it, because there's someone who has custody of your funds and someone who can deprive you of access to your funds, and those aren't necessarily the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah a lot of nuance yeah. to well, all I mean, this. Lots like, to unpack here. The routing node could, in this situation, I guess it's still an HTLC. So the routing node in the middle can't take the funds in the middle, I presume. Yeah. It just prevents them from moving along. They could say you got paid when you didn't get paid or say you paid when you didn't pay. And then presumably, like, the reason you're paying someone in an offline kind of mobile fashion is because you just, like, bought a coffee from them or something. So then you just lost the coffee if that payment didn't actually go through. Yeah. yeah. Right? Like if you're the merchant, you just sold a burger to someone and then you, you go back online and you realize that the LSP, you know, fucked it up and, and you didn't actually get your payment. So that ends up devolving to a reputation problem. As an LSP, you get to do that exactly once and then people don't trust you as an LSP. Right? But it like kind of reminds me of like the state chain model where the state That's chain coordinator can't steal your funds unless they collaborate with the other peer in a really malicious exit camps situation, they are the other peer. So they're not collaborating with anyone. So they like wait till there's a lot, a lot of usage. And then, I mean, in my offline thing, it doesn't make as much sense, but like, then they go out, send their minions out to buy like a shit ton of meat and a shit ton of like guns, ammo, like store value things, bleach, you know, things that'll hold their things. And then they just do one massive exit scam on it. Never heard bleach as a store value. Yeah. The low income communities, you can use food stamps, or you can use, not food stamps, but whatever they call it. The EBT cards. EBTs to buy uh, like Clorox and stuff. And they have really good shelf life. So that's yep. like used as a, as a means of an exchange. I never, I never realized that. Yeah. It's fascinating. Tide is apparently the preferred unit of account in New York City. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The, uh, give people, if people have a need, they find a way. Right. And then um, bringing it back to like the custodial thing. And I don't want to get too far away from this lightning conversation that we're having is fascinating i think these oh well, before we get to what i was just about to get to uh have you guys seen like the ln i know you have because we've talked about it, but like the ln url withdrawal function and the stuff that the cool stuff that's being implemented 
around that. Uh, I think it was discussed last night at BitDevs, actually, yeah. Yeah, and it's like offline. You can use like NFC touch payments. You essentially like load up uh, a lightning debit card, if you will, with a certain amount of sats that you can then withdraw. I don't know if it needs to be the exact amount that you're withdrawing from a particular invoice. Like you got to pay coffee, you have to load up your LN URL withdrawal wallet or whatever. I don't even know nomenclature around it with the exact amount that you're about to pay. Um, but I think that's an interesting. But I don't understand model. like what that really solves. Because the merchant is still online so that they can actually verify that you're paying them. So if, if, if the person you're paying is able to be online, like, can't you just have, like, a Wi-Fi hotspot there and, like, your customer just connects to the Wi-Fi hotspot to pay you? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, that's why we're talking about this. Like, that. Is it overkill to do LN URL withdrawal in this in this instance? Is that what you're trying to say, or it just doesn't make sense because you should, if you're paying in person, you should be able to access your Lightning node and be comfortable paying because if you pay, they don't give you the the goods. You can just be like, "What the fuck?" Like I'm never coming. I mean, back. like I feel like the bigger pain point is that if you're running a mobile wallet and I'm trying to pay, I'm trying to pay you fantasy dues for fantasy football. And because it's a mobile wallet, it's not an always-on node. So you're not necessarily online, but, you know, I, I wake up in the morning, I'm like, oh, shit, I haven't paid Marty, and I just want to send you a payment, but you're not online, right? But, like, when you're talking about, like, merchant things, you know, most people have cell phones. Most people are going to be using a cell phone mobile wallet already. They're going to have internet connectivity at the point of payment. When they open up their wallet, it's going to connect to the network. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the receiver side... Where LNURL is pretty cool is that you can print out like static QR codes, which is also what I'm kind of hoping Bolt 12 comes in to do if that actually gets implemented. But like you can like you can imagine like if you're like a like a shack in El Salvador, you can have just printed QR codes of all your menu items. And then the merchant doesn't necessarily have to have an online device ready to go. Mm-hmm. Um, they still have to have the LNURL server running somewhere, though. Yeah. But I guess options are good just to have as many options as possible. Yeah. yeah. I think Alan URL and Bolt 12 offers are complementary. We're going to have to yeah. have some both. They don't necessarily both cover every possible use case. Yeah. It's, I mean, it just highlights how much needs to be figured out, how much work needs to be done, and uh, how many unknown unknowns there are, which many can see as spooky, but it's also exciting. And there's, there's a lot to be done, uh, a lot to be figured out. Uh, and if you're somebody who's looking to actually build things that are worthwhile, useful, uh, and give you some, some sense of meaning and purpose. Uh, these are problems that need to be solved. And I would consider working on if I had the, uh, the technical capabilities to actually do it. Talking about LNURL, I really like the combination of LNURL auth deposit and withdraw or LNURL pay, I guess not deposit. Like, so like LN markets, Mm -hmm. which is like, uh, lightning only like, Bitmax type of LN, site. LNMarkets.co, I believe. Yeah, and you, you like open it up. You scan the QR code with your wallet to sign in. You don't have a username and password, so it's tied to your wallet through LNURL auth. And then you do LNURL pay by signing, uh, scanning another QR code to actually pay to deposit into it. And you do your trades, and then you, use, then you scan another QR code to withdraw back to your wallet. Like that seems like a very clean flow. Yeah, I agree. 
I agree. I'm big on Ellen URL auth, uh, especially in a world where WorldCoin is being uh, rolled out and they're going to want to use your iris as, as sure your the, authentication. Technically token. retina. <laughs> retina. Whatever. Are we going to clown on WorldCoin for a bit? I uh, feel like all of us have some WorldCoin content like stored up in us. This is uh, an episode about spooky things, and I would consider uh, WorldCoin uh, that is forcing you to look into the orb to, to produce a private key is, uh, is very spooky. You think they'll still be talking about it in eight days? No. I yeah. think they might. It might be infuriating. Like you saw the cast, like the cast of characters in that uh, fundraising round in the pre-mine, A16Z, Coinbase, Multicoin, DCG. We were talking about BitCloud for a while, yeah, a lot true. longer than you would expect a BitCloud. This seems to like last. a, and I'm. <laughs> I had, I had a joke. This seems like a stronger shitcoin than BitCloud. Like BitCloud was like really fucking half-assed. Like these guys have. They have orbs in different countries right now, and they're like paying part of the pre-mine to the orb operators to onboard people. Like, it feels more like one coinish or like, uh, like a Swan or like a Tron or something like that. Where like there's like, uh, the thing I don't get is if you're gonna do that, like have orbs collecting like retina information all across like the third world. Why be half a supervillain? I would go all out and get like a robe and like a snake hood, go like full GI Joe Destro. <laughs> Be like, they this onboard is who I am. you, they send you the robe. Too. Right. Like, you, here's your orb, here's your robe, here's your hat. Like, and, like, so, uh, let's keep diving in. Like, the orb, it's fucking scary shit. You scan your, your retina, and, like, they're trying to market this as a fair distribution. So, it's inherently not fair. I assume the price is free-floating. So, for it to be fair, you'd have to have everybody scan their retina at the exact same time and exchange rate. Yeah. Right, like you're getting ten dollars worth of world coin. It's weird that it's the airdrops based. It's just such a shit corner mentality, right? That the airdrop is denominated in dollars instead of world coin, right? Like it should be like you get a thousand world coin or whatever the fucking amount is. Yeah, yeah. Like so, right off the bat, it's actually not a fair distribution. Like, can people? They have a pre mine. Could you sibyl? Like, I, I guess I want to be a sibyl attack, but like. On the road to us, like, what if you what if you go get your ten dollars with your right eye, and then next week you go with your left eye? No, they scan both eyes. Oh, they do. Okay. And but retinas aren't perfect. Like, you can have damage and stuff, but it's only ten dollars. So, like, hopefully, like, actually, there was an eye doctor at BitDevs yesterday, and he came up to me afterwards. And we were talking, and he was like, he's like, yeah, you can like fuck around with the retinas and stuff, but it's like it's expensive and it's dangerous to your eyes, and you're only getting ten dollars of a shit coin. Yeah. So. That's the thing. It's not worth very much. I don't know how much it costs to take a 4K resolution picture of someone's eyes from Facebook and then print it out and then put it over a silicon prosthetic eye and scan that. But we're about to find out if it costs more or less than $10. That's what this is. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, fucking WorldCoin. What are these people thinking? Matt had a great point yesterday during the recap. Everyone is forced to find out by themselves from first principles how distributed proof of work is the best means of exactly. getting coins into people's hands. You can try to come up with any sort of Rube Goldberg mechanism to like get around that, but at the end of the day, this is the best we have. It was absolutely hilarious. Like I saw like the VCs posting on Twitter, and they were like, the issue is, is uh, you need a civil-resistant mechanism for fair distribution, and we spent months trying to develop the way, and everything has pitfalls, but we discovered this orb to sustain the <laughs> and they're just completely oblivious. They're like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> it's been around for at almost 13 years now. It's called Man, uh, Proof of Work, using Hashcash SHA-256. I can- wonder how it ends, whether it'll either be vulnerable to some sort of attack or even better what i hope is that someone launches i don't know 
What would be a good competitor name for the orb? The iris? Whatever. Like, why do we trust these people to do this distribution when it's, if what's behind it is a cute little techno gimmick that gets around the problem of uh, fairly distributing coins, why don't we just wait a few years for someone to come around for the next cute techno gimmick? Yeah. The Orb 2 Electric Boogaloo. Well, how does it even work, the the distribution? So you scan your retina, right? Mm-hmm. And I assume like no, people aren't walking up to the Orb. No, no, the so you orb. scan your... I know too much about this. <laughs> you scan your retina at an Orb station, and the Orb station is run by a local Ponzi operator, right? And so the local operator gets the Orb. They probably pay something up front. They do like an onboarding process to get the Orb. And then you, you they, they stand there and they, sh- they shill Orb coin to you. And then as soon as you, you scan the retina, then you open up like your mobile wallet, your, your WorldCoin mobile wallet, and then they send you your pre-mine. They like register it to the hash of your retina, and then they get a portion of the pre-mine as well. So like they get a, a VIG every time they onboard someone. So they're incentivized to try and onboard as much of their community as possible. Evil. Hey, get as many retinas as you can into this fucking database. She hash it into this blockchain. And it's just an ERC twenty token, so they didn't even have to like make a new wallet or anything. It's just in you know, like an Ethereum address. Is MetaMask gonna gonna start uh, enabling Worldcoin? It probably already supports it because it's an ERC twenty. Yeah, that was the weirdest thing to me. I out of all of this, I don't know. It's like if you're gonna go shitcoin, like go full shitcoin. Like they don't even have their own chain of like right? centralized chain that they created. Yeah, they have their own hashtag on Twitter. How do they not have their own chain? It's weird. They have like a symbol, the world coin symbol behind it. Yeah, you can just buy them now. Yeah. Bitcoin was the only one that got it for free. That was a funny thing I saw earlier today, too. Like, what's old is new again. There has been a world coin before. Like, somebody already thought of it. Of course. There was like probably like a, a fair POW launch world coin back in 2013. Well, there was Aurora coin. Remember Aurora coin? They mm-hmm. dropped it on which country was that? Norway. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they didn't there. Uh, I forget Aurora coins. You had to like show your ID and you got a. Was it Cyprus? I want to say Norway. It wasn't Cyprus. It was one of the Scandinavian countries. Scandinavian countries. I think Norway sounds. I mean Aurora Coin. You have the, uh, or what is it? The uh, what is the uh, thing in the sky? The uh, something Aurora. Man, I hope it's not Norway now. Because if I still remember that after eight years, those brains. (laughs) (laughs) We have shit coin trauma, gentlemen. Is it the Aurora Borealis? Is that it? That's what I was thinking of. Yep. Look at at our scholarly Matthew O'Dell. Uh well, I'm so can, fucking hungover too. So can, speaking about spooky, and I, what I wanted to go do earlier before I got distracted by uh, Ellen URL, um, going all the way back to the ETF conversation in the beginning, and the fact that these ETFs, specifically the physically settled ETFs, are going to be amassing, uh, you would assume, a, a considerable amount of Bitcoin, and so you have. That custodian, the ETF fund, whether it's the fund itself, which I doubt will happen, or like a NYDIG or a Coinbase custodying that much Bitcoin on their behalf, is that spooky? We always say, it doesn't matter how much, uh, and this is something I've been thinking about recently because I, I had a lot of noobs, and Alex Berg actually hopped in a thread where somebody asked this, uh, asked me this question a few weeks ago, and it really like, reminded me, like brought me back to like the... Segwit 2x and the the fork wars is yes these custodians will have um, a lot of Bitcoin. They can't really change Bitcoin uh, consensus, but like the the whole con- what I want to describe to freaks who may be newer is the 
the concept of an, uh, an economic full node, like a full node that has a lot of Bitcoin UTXOs moving through it? Like, do they have more power than, uh, say, somebody with running a full node with a million sats on it? I think I see where you're going with this. You know, yeah. there are some other uh, alternative coins that have this idea of proof of stable coin issuance, where a stable coin is issued as a colored coin on top of, the, of their chain. And so the correct version of the chain is whichever version that the stablecoin issuer decides is the correct version of the chain. They'll only honor claims on one chain, so that prevents contentious forks. Mm-hmm. So, Like on put, ETH, if it was like if USDC and Tether decided that they wanted to... On what? On ETH? What's that? <laughs> if USDC and Tether wanted to stay That's, on one chain in a fork situation, most of so-called DeFi is using them, and then so that all the other projects will be basically compelled to continue on whatever chain they decide. Exactly. And the problem with that is what you've just described is an alternative mechanism for reaching consensus. I mean, what's the point of having proof of work or even proof of stake or federation if you're just going to leave the decision to decide what valid chain is right. to uh, Paxos or Bitfinex or whoever? So this is sort of the equivalent. Like, are we going to see ETF issuers make the decision as to, well, this chain is not necessarily the valid chain, but it's the chain that we associate with our ticker symbol. And because there's so much money backing uh, our ticker symbol and going through it, we've got some alternative incentive besides proof of work to decide which chain is valid. We kind of saw that with GBTC, if I remember correctly. Like, they weren't honoring Bcash at first. They were like, we're on Bitcoin chain. And then ultimately, I think they had to like pay out a dividend or something worth of Coin, cash, Coinbase right? had to do it too. Yeah, they no Coinbase. Didn't, oh, Coinbase also they waited right before yeah. they supported. Bcash. They waited to like December seventh because they correctly. were like Segwit two Xers. They wanted Segwit two X, so they yep. stayed and, and said Bcash wasn't legitimate. And then they started getting sued. Yeah. So I I think these like like I think like market participants will will like compel these. If it's a big like if it's a big enough fork, market market participants will compel these custodians to honor it through like traditional legal means. Self custody people will be unaffected, um, but like even like we have there's so many shit like absolute like Bcash is a shit fork, but there's like really shit forks like they like Coinbase never honor like Bitcoin Diamond or like Bitcoin Gold or any of the other ones. Um, because they were just, they never had any kind, they were never legitimate at all. It wasn't even close. Yeah. yeah. They never had any kind of real market value, I guess. But wasn't there something? Rather some, than a legitimate, because I'm not going to call Bcash legitimate at all either. Wasn't there something around like Bit 148? Like, if I remember correctly, again, feels like ages ago. Like, wasn't there like a thing is like, not only do you have to run a Bit 148 node to do the user activated soft fork, or whether you're running Bit 91 or Bit 148. It was important to actually move Bitcoin to those nodes as well, to move UTXOs to say, hey, I'm moving value. Well, the economic nodes you're thinking about is like, usually it's exchanges Yeah, is what people say. Like their nodes are, they have a high amount of They're validating transaction. a lot of transactions. Right. And, yeah. Um, like if you're just hodling, you know, your node isn't really, um, it's enforcing the rules for your savings, right? Mm-hmm. But you're not... I think the key takeaway that's really important here is, yeah, so you have the stablecoin issue on a lot of these so-called like smart contract type chains. 
um, which just seems to be adding on top and top and top. Um, but the, the key thing with Bitcoin is that having more coin does not give you more power over the network. And the big divide is going to be all these chains that are proof of stake because you can imagine a situation where there's like a BlackRock ETF of Ethereum after proof of stake and like the main validator is fucking BlackRock <laughs> on your chain and then whatever they say is 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 the way it goes yep. and that's 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 really scary like that's exactly what we're trying to get away from yeah yeah you think BlackRock has any world coin yet you think Larry Fink went to the orb so they they listed all the uh VC investors but they didn't uh list there's it's 70 individual investors that they didn't list. Mm. So we don't know who they are. Interesting. Interesting. Um, yeah, so there's no... So yes, I he still, probably does own some. I still want to lean into the economic <laughs> full node thing because I remember that being a huge topic. I don't want to clarify it like for the freaks I think there. the fear was like, if I remember correctly with the economic nodes, the fear was like... Uh, it was specifically with Segwit2x rather than Bcash because Bcash never really had that kind of momentum. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fear was like that Coinbase was going to go Segwit2x, Poloniex go Segwit2x, Bitfinex go Segwit2x, and then, you know, you 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 won't be able to to sell your uh, original chain Bitcoin. You'll only be able to interact with the Segwit2x chain on you know all the major economic nodes. But to me, that was always it was like a concern, but it was like almost more of a theoretical concern because at the end of the day, like I can use Bitcoin without a, a, one of these large exchanges. And mm-hmm. you know, the whole point is like trusted third parties are security holes. So like why, um, like I think it would be like a short term damage type of situation rather than a, like a long term network kill. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It's like the, there's these things, there's so much to remember. And like BitPay was big back then. Yeah. Right? We didn't have BTC pay server yet. So like, if BitPay and Coinbase Commerce and BitGo and both decide that they're going to go Segwit2x, remember like BitPay sent out the letter like getting ready for Bitcoin's big upgrade, right? Mm-hmm. And like then all of a sudden all the merchants that, you know, let's say you live full time on Bitcoin and you're used to, you know, topping up your phone minutes with a BitPay enabled processor, then you don't, you don't, the only choice you have is to, to use whatever fork they push, right? Yeah. Yeah. Spooky. Very spooky. Yeah. I think you think I think the network's sincerely more robust and resilient yeah. since then. I think that was a, a very good lesson to learn at that particular juncture. And I think there has I mean the full node adoption um has considerably picked up since then. I think it was a direct result of that. We all had to go through that experience to realize just how important it was to be self-sovereign, to run your own nodes, to make sure that you're not relying on Coinbase or Bitfinex or whoever to decide what the valid chain is. Yeah. And it doesn't need to be everyone, though. I hope as many people as possible are running their own nodes. It just needs to be enough to put the fear into the minds of anyone who would imagine themselves as being some sort of Bitcoin cartel that gets to unilaterally decide the fate of the chain. There'll be enough people transacting through... uh, their own nodes that you either have to make the choice to obey the same rules as everyone else or you're on some different ghost chain that no, you have no idea what the freaks are uh, are running or if they're ever going to interact with your chain. Yeah, I guess the best chance a nefarious actor ever has of actually successfully 
waging that type of attack on the network in the future would come with a successful social attack, which Segwit2x was obviously very unsuccessful, but maybe the CIA, the states or something can try to do a better social attack at that level. I mean, level. I'm surprised we haven't seen more, you know, fork-style attacks uh, in general. Maybe not necessarily against Bitcoin, but against, like, the low-hanging fruit shitcoins. Um, like, I, like, I remember, like, early days of Ethereum, like, I theorized that there'd be a market, uh, there'd be, like, a market for someone just forking ETH clearing their state and either starting without a pre-mine or starting with the BTC UTXO set, like the tip, do whatever like a, the tip do of... Do like a clams drop or something like that? No, but not... Like, clams was like... There was a pre-mine there, but like if you just completely wiped it and there was no pre-mine, you remove the pre-mine and you just put the... Um, you put whatever the current state of Bitcoin is at some block height. Like, you pick a block height that was like two weeks ago... And you say, this is the ultimate ledger of, of truth is the Bitcoin blockchain. And now we're going to take Ethereum smart contract functionality, remove the pre-mine and put it with a fair ledger on top. And then would it be long-term successful? Like probably not because Bitcoiners don't want to use Ethereum, but like it would cause a ton of turmoil. Like if you shorted Ethereum at the same time, like people would start panicking. If you're like a major ETH holder, maybe you'd swap into the new Bitcoin ETH or whatever. And you could like rinse and repeat that on on like all the shit coins, and we haven't really seen that. Like we saw like half-assed attempts, like Bitcoin Diamond, like you said, clams. Like they all had pre-mines, and like they're doing like Bitcoin Private was like it was super dirty, where they had like the fuck's hashing that? Oh, right. vulnerabilities What's that dude's and name? like fast mines. Rhett something. Rhett, yeah, Rhett Creighton. That Dan Larmer. Wait. Yeah, no, I remember. I remember all that. Rhett Creighton. Yeah, Nick Carter called him out. Coinmetrics caught that inflation bug. They had like a pretty crazy inflation bug in Bitcoin private. It was a feature. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because they discovered it was like one of his PRs that got merged. That, like, uh, yeah. that actually led to the inflation bug. But that's like the thing, right? It's like the cool part about Bitcoin is that any it's permissionless. Anyone can fork it if they want to. Now, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that it will be the dominant chain. But like the three of us, you know, tomorrow before this episode drops, we could we could fork Bitcoin, we could change the algo, not do a pre mine or anything, and just release it out and be like, you know, this one has two minute blocks, it's faster. That's what Litecoin is, right? No, but Litecoin didn't start with the Bitcoin state. No, yeah. right? And you could play all sorts of different games there with, you know, oh, this is an ASIC resistant algo. Okay, so now it's it's Bitcoin without ASICs. And just cause like a bunch of market turmoil by doing like a, for, it's like, a, you know, that's, I, that's a very interesting concept to me. And no one really does. I've n we've never really seen that. It's all like. What do you think that is? Do you think that people want just like the quick fix of a pre-mine? They're like, yeah, I don't really want to go through all that effort to like, because again, there's like a social aspect. It's like to a it scam reversing like a nation state. Like if it was mm. like a nation state attack. That's a good way of putting it. If it was a nation it. state attack, they get the benefit of just Bitcoin possibly failing well i would right? phrase that it's a scam reverse a pro scammer right yeah, yeah scammer versus a pro scammer <laughs> or like even like a like a hedge fund like maybe it's just it's low-hanging fruit right like if they can just make the money out the pre-mine it's easier to do you don't have to worry about shorting something or trying to monetize through another means um it's the scammer mindset it's t it's all about time preference the scammer is yeah. thinking about their immediate payoff and they've yeah. got bills to pay it's not free to get any of the stuff listed on coin market cap or on binance you yeah. have to actually pay the piper yeah, that was like a big thing on 
Polo and Bittrex back in yeah. the day, pay pay to get your coin listed. I love when people talk about their shit coins and like organic community adoption. I'm like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. did the community cut Binance a million dollar check to get on the list <laughs> on the exchange? Cool. Uh, Binance. Is Binance dying? Is FT like I think Sam Tabasco ate their lunch. Yeah. FTX is uh yeah. You can't be half a scammer, man. You can't be they they're like ninety percent shit coins, but you gotta go like hundred and ten percent listing lumber futures. Yeah. And like fake Tesla stock. <laughs> You see SBF's raise that he announced it was like a meme raise, four hundred twenty million at six point nine billion. Valinate. It was, it was sixty nine billion or six point nine billion. No, it was it was four hundred twenty million sixty nine thousand dollar raise. So four twenty sixty nine raise, and it was sixty nine investors. See, mm. it's just as a ridiculous as that is. I prefer to like the whole we're building the future of France bullshit. Like, nope, we're memeing our friends in four twenty dot sixty nine yield though. Yeah. Trading doggy coins. All right, bro. Yeah, and they, uh, he's paying. What did he do? He donated $10 million to Biden's administration campaign. But he's getting into all the sports. He's got Brady on Sunday pumping FTX. He's got the Miami Heat Arena. The, the Blockfolio acquisition was a really good uh, yeah. play for retail you know, shitcoin adoption. Yeah. It's like they have, a, they have a nice mobile app. You know, most people nowadays just they do everything on mobile. That's what like so many of our super Bitcoin geniuses don't realize. Like I had a like I'm this is very tangential, but like I had uh, Waxwing and Belcher on Dispatch to discuss Bitcoin privacy. And uh, I said to Waxwing, um, like, what do you think about join market on mobile? And he said, if you care about Bitcoin privacy, you shouldn't use a phone. And I was like, dude, like, there's going to be there's going to be like six billion Bitcoiners that are using mobile phones to interact with their Bitcoin. (laughs) It's already inevitable where there's not there's no way you could stop that. So you got to try and just lean into into the mobile world as much as possible. You have to. Most people don't have computers now. They just have a phone. Yeah. I mean, anything where Bitcoin penetration is the strongest in terms of. I like to use uh, Matt Alborg's, uh, like uh, his internet access and GDP index, like the place like useful Ni- tulips, right? Yeah, like in Nigeria, Venezuela, Argentina. Like these people are all mobile. Maybe not Argentina as much as Venezuela and Nigeria, but like, like the people actually need Bitcoin and interacting with it. Like El Salvador, most people are using mobile. Like you, you have to accept that fact and then design around it. I hope this is the next thing that Bitcoin actually fixes. We actually, what we've accomplished in the past four years of Bitcoiners, getting people to run their own nodes, is not something I've seen with any other peer-to-peer technology. There are seed boxes for BitTorrent, sure. And some people run Tor breeders, but not nearly enough compared to like the population of people that benefit from those technologies. Bitcoiners run their own hardware. The current mobile phone ecosystem is, I understand Waxwing's uh, reticence because it's just a dumpster fire. I mean, you've got your choice of like, do you want to have your privacy violated by Apple's App Store or by Google Play? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And like all the chips and just... Yeah, everything's proprietary. You have to... Yeah, it's all tied to your IMEI and your phone's billing information. There's a tremendous lift there to actually get from where we are now to privacy. I don't want to docs anyone but i think someone we might know has a setup where they've got calyx os on one phone and a normie ios phone and they use the normie ios phone for their docs identity and their calyx os uh pixel phone connects to it as a wi-fi hotspot 
Like literally, that's NSA level security. You have two separate devices, you know, a computer over here and a computer over here. That's how they do it at the three letter agencies. That might be what we have to start doing. Yeah, I mean, and that person's still getting owned. But like, at least you're, the thing is like, we, ca we can't let the perfect be better than the good, right? Like, yeah, we perfect gotta can't keep be the enemy of the good, yeah. And like, most of us are just gonna, you just, you can't put the NSA in your threat model. Yeah. They've already, <laughs> they're already in. Ooh. Yeah, Snowden, Snowden basically made that very clear. Yeah. Did this, did we just find our way to the tour part of the discussion? Is there that, yeah, it's another thing we wanted to talk about in the spooky topics, tour being spooky one of them. Spooky topics. <laughs> it's going to be the name of the episode, spooky topics. Yeah. It's, this is a double entendre here in this particular uh, like part it. of the episode. Uh, spooky spooks. So on the, re the recap yesterday, Matt asked a salient question, do you trust Tor? Mm -hmm. And we've been talking about it uh, before the. I today. didn't say trust. I said, can we rely on tour? Can we rely on tour? That's a great way to put it. Um, and what you touched on earlier, what's your threat model? Is your threat model the NSA and nation state actors? I think. I think for Lightning, it, it is like as a whole network rather than the individual. So here's my way of working through it for first principles. I think we've heard other people make different arguments. I'll try to make a new one that hopefully the freaks can follow and wrap their heads around okay you're worried about nation state actors and having them get in the way of your communications what do nation state actors use to play against other nation state actors when i don't know the pakistani isi or is going up against the russian kgb or india's is it our research warfare agency i think is their uh, intelligence agency do they rely on Tor? Do the spooks rely on Tor? They use dead drops and secure computer information right. facilities. They go full offline. Well, like Putin uses like typewriters. Right. He just they're, doesn't even... They completely, all network communications yeah. offline. So if they're using a fundamentally different grade of technology, what hope do we have bringing a knife to a gunfight, you know? Maybe we should be doing dead drops with open dimes. So like we have, but then does that just mean like lightning's a non-starter? Like we have... Right now, there's basically, as far as I'm concerned, you have like two breeds of lightning nodes, routing nodes. You have that are both always online. You have the like the doxed ones that are running on ClearNet on always on high performance servers. Everyone knows where they are. Most of the time, they're run by regulated businesses. If they're not a regulated business yet, if they do enough lightning volume, they'll become a regulated business. <laughs> and then you have the the onion side. You have the Tor nodes. That are mostly run by like plebs. We have plebnet and stuff like that. They have a node in their house. Um, it's they control the hardware themselves. They're running it through Tor. The Lightning Trust model. So I they provide a check. Even if we have a lot of the volume going through the regulated clearnet nodes, they provide a check because some hops can go through the onion nodes, and you always have that as an option. You can go over there. Now imagine a scenario where where Tor goes down for two weeks. And so the onion nodes all, all lose access for two weeks and they have, you know, half the network, half the lightning network goes down and all you have is the regulated side. Um, that would do long standing. Forget about if funds get lost or anything like that. I don't, I'm not even saying necessarily that funds get lost. They just all lose access for two weeks. And we had kind of a similar situation where Tor was having DDoS issues. And I still, to this day, don't understand how Tor is civil resistant at all. Like, it seems like it's just super easy to DDoS, <laughs> let alone, like, if the operators wanted to take it down. So, 
Are you trying to get to like if this scenario happens, you could use a process of elimination heuristic to sort of dox? No, I would just say like half the nodes are off the network and they're yeah. the important nodes to me, right? And like they're the private sovereign nodes, they're all off the network. Um, you've just basically turned off sovereign lightning mm-hmm. and you only have corporate lightning left. Well, does that do that would do just purely from a reputational damage kind of like adoption kind of, you know, lightning network is the future could substantially hurt lightning long term in terms of people like relying on it and trusting it and that's because we put all this fucking trust on the sovereign side on tour itself well and this makes me think about again two questions that we touched on last night but i think they bear repeating and probably uh, a bit further um, consideration explanation around like number one can you somehow incentivize uh not, not only incentivize the running of exit nodes via the Lightning Network, but uh, decrease the potential for civil attacks by making them expensive by injecting uh, a cost to, to routing on, on Tor. And then number two, should we just scrap Tor altogether and focus on building out something like a mesh network that could potentially be more robust? So my two sets, is that what we're going for? I've, I've seen yes, the odds yeah. in me. Yeah, we both just, we both just <laughs> yeah. like that armed out. <laughs> I think we can't rely on any one technology. I do think for the use case that you just outlined, the idea that Lightning is going to be resistant against a global passive nation-state adversary, uh, I don't think Tor is resistant to a global passive nation-state adversary, so Lightning through Tor doesn't seem like it would be viable in that scenario. So it's just not... Well, but let me finish. (laughs) (laughs) Lightning <laughs> is a overloaded term. There's the Lightning Gossip Network that you know you can spin up a Lightning node now and right. find all your Lightning peers and find routes to them and everything. And then there's payment channels. I think the general idea that we're going to see is what we've seen. Oh God, I always bring back everything to the internet. So there's your private home internet and like you know your Wi-Fi access point. You've got all your PCs and your devices that can talk to each other over here, and then they connect to the outside world. I think we'll see a lightning topology if there's a need for it. And maybe we're all just being, you know, paranoid, cranky old mountain men, as Vitalik would say, you know, just imagining things. But I think there would be a need for community level nodes with payment channels in between each other. And someone would say, okay, I'm going to be the one who sells to the outside world. I'll be the one who connects to the global lightning network. And we have to worry about that guy's access. That ends up looking not unlike a bank, unfortunately. It's like a bunch of small, like, Almost like semi-custodians. Yeah. Community custodians. Kind of like what Bitcoin Beach is. Yeah. Right, where you have a custodial wallet that's backed by a multi-sig, and then they're the ones connecting out to the Greater Lightning Network. Yeah, so that's one way to do it. Another way is, okay, you said earlier offline beforehand that CJDNS, as an example, and I2P as an example, are different methods of solving different problems. CJDNS, for example, has no anonymity, but it's encrypted hop-to-hop. Right. Mm -hmm. So you solve something different there. I2P different transport layer, not quite the same network topology as Tor, not the same guarantees. We're going to need a little bit of everything. Uh, at the end of the day, it's going to be a game of whack-a-mole against a global uh, passive nation-state adversary. They can print money, so as long as they can do that, they can throw as much manpower and as much uh, resources as they can bring to bear against us. So it's not going to be any one thing. There's no magic bullets. I mean, yeah, I mean, this was like something that was earlier, like I thought was... Uh, basically like consensus in the Bitcoin community that the whole reason we're doing the layered scaling is because on-chain Bitcoin, the native protocol is as censorship resistant as possible. It prioritizes that on the trade-off scale. 
And then lightning can be more centralized, a little bit less censorship resistant, less state resistant, but you have cheaper fees, faster payments as a result. Yeah. Um, but we've kind of lost that narrative now. It's like in Bitcoin land, it's, you know, every payment's going to be lightning. It's all going to be, uh, you know, everything's going to be lightning network. Lightning's the future. And it's like a... Although, right? there will be a forcing function that makes what was old new again, right? Something will happen and be like, all right, maybe... Yeah, like tour going down for two weeks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but we just had to remember, like, again, I think, I don't know, from a narrative perspective or just from, like, like you said, like since 2017, since the Fork Wars, Bitcoiners uh, compared to other open source uh, networks have, have really put their money where their mouth is and actually spun up nodes to contribute to the network and stuff like that. And I think maybe we do need a forcing function like a nation state attack that takes down Tor, potentially lightning network that forces us to take it to another level, building up mesh networks, setting up satellites to bounce transactions off, off yep. the atmosphere, off the moon, ham radio, ham radio, go tennis. Yeah. I think there was uh, another interesting point that Arbdout made that was, uh, like just at its core, like payment channels, um, if if it's if it's just two parties that are having a, like a long term payment relationship, like that is that is pretty censorship resistant, right? Like if 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 the big one being like if like two exchanges have just a massive fat private channel, yeah, they're not even really connected to the greater Lightning Network. I wouldn't even like I, that's not really even Lightning to me, um, but they have this like internal ledger that settles on chain that is trust minimized and they're able to just constantly move that balance back and forth between them rather than going on chain. Right. Yep. Or, or out you, to the greater lightning network. Right. Yeah. If you want to blow your mind instead of two exchanges, two citadels. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. That's good. I like that. Um, you were talking about civil resistance earlier and that just what Matt was talking about just brought to mind something to mind. Can we loop back on that? For yes. A second? yes, sir. You know how Joan market is trying to address civil resistance right now with fidelity bonds, right. fidelity bonds. I think that's a really interesting construct. So the mm. idea is you lock, lock up, up a certain amount of Bitcoin for a certain amount of time as a provable sacrifice and say, how do you know I'm a scammer? Well, here's my name and metadata or whatever. And maybe it's embedded in an OP return of his transaction. It says, Hey, I've locked up 100 BTC for however many time, and you know my name is on this 100 BTC. So there's an implicit incentive to not try to screw you out of a certain amount of money because you know, hey, instead of screwing you out of 10 BTC, I could take my 100 BTC and just have 100 BTC. Right, and like the key, I think the key to the fidelity bond mechanism is if you if you lock up 100 Bitcoin in one uh, maker on mm-hmm. um on joint market you have a higher reputation score and you get selected more than if you split it as 10 makers yep um mm-hmm. with 10 bitcoin in it because that's important right because that's the civil right so yep. so it it has this really uh s- sleek way of incentivizing i'm not I wouldn't say honest users but incentivizing users who don't um pretend they're many users right, right? Mm-hmm. So there's the civil resistance right there. What came to mind when we were talking about Tor is, wouldn't it be great to have a Tor bridge node that advertised a fidelity bond, and you could route to the ones that said, hey, I've locked up a certain amount of coins. Okay, well, I know a little about you. I know that you're unique in this way. You're not, you would need a lot of coins to be trying to fool me to be another bridge node. That would could be really clean improvement. And is it 
technically possible. Like, can you inject a fidelity bond like that into a tour? You just uh, put like a hash commitment, right? Yeah, and mm-hmm. see why not. You would need a unique ID that identifies the Tor bridge node, mm-hmm. and you would need some proof that exists on the Bitcoin blockchain and a way- mechanism to advertise to a peer, which exists already. The peers communicate in Tor. Did we just fix Tor? <laughs> I think we yeah. just fixed Tor. It would definitely improve the situation because <laughs> one of the things we constantly see is like a ton of nodes just flooding the network. Right. And Tor is... I said, wait, it's you too. But like. It's all our doubt. <laughs> Tor, is, Tor is such a shitcoin that their current technique for dealing with uh, dealing with a bunch of malicious nodes joining the network is they like have just like a centralized group that just decides which ones to ban. Yeah. They're right, like, right. oh, this one just looks like it's a bad node. There's something it. similar like that in the Bitcoin, right? Like there's a... Isn't there an IP blacklist at, at the seed, uh, at the full node seeding level, right? Isn't there some sort of... I think Mike Hearn tried to implement something like that to uh, not create reviews. Yeah. Uh, there's an there's a ban mechanism if you try to be yeah. naughty, but yeah. there's no, like, hard code. Uh, there's no blacklist. list. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So you can't misbehave too hard. Like, the Tor mm-hmm. Foundation, like, literally like, sits down and decides which nodes to ban. Yeah. yeah. It's not great. CJDNS does that too. There's like a list on GitHub of like what valid uh, nodes are. Like, great proof of GitHub. Not that I don't uh. love grabbing scotch with you guys, and not that the last one wasn't great, but I've noticed an hour into this, we fixed Tor, and like two hours in the last <laughs> one, uh, Matt, had, Matt was calling me a bear and taking naps on my rug. So. It is, it's definitely been more productive conversation. Yeah. Midday rips, uh, <laughs> drinking seltzer water are, uh, yeah. are uh, very good. Um, this is our return to the Jedi. That was Empire Strikes Back, the second of the trilogy. <laughs> I'm glad you all made it through it. I appreciate that. I'm loving this conversation. And like, it feels like we're trying to be as efficient as possible because you have to catch a flight. So we've got like another 30 minutes. What else is there spooky that we can talk about? Are we done with Torrid now that we fix it? Or is there anything? Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can apply this too, right? Again, like creating an economic incentive either not to be nefarious or to, to prove that you're trustworthy. Um, we could add fidelity bonds to everything. Right. Yeah. Right. Fidelity bonds would be cool. Lightning too. Yeah. And I think we're fixing everything right now. Holy fidelity shit. bonds on like electrum servers. Yeah. Uh, cause so let's describe it for the freaks who may be new to this. Why is a fidelity bond important? Right. Cause you lock up funds for a certain amount of time. And if you're a nefarious actor, like you just have to hope that, people would interact with that fidelity bond. You can't go attack, attack way more people. It'd be that much expense. It'd be more expensive to do. Yeah. You're increasing the cost of attack. Yeah. The basic idea is you've shown that, you know, you've got a lot of money in one location that you're not going to move anywhere. It is associated with some public information. So you're saying to everyone, I could, you know, I could deprive you of your funds, but if I were going to do that, why wouldn't I just unlock this and go? Yeah. Um, now, there's a couple of little gotchas there. The big one is you have to make sure the fidelity bond itself isn't civil. You can't reuse fidelity bonds. That would be the big uh, giveaway. So it has to be associated with something really unique, mm-hmm. which Join Market does a good job of. Um, I think there's also a privacy problem because the wallet and the coins and everything that are associated with fidelity bond by definition, you've tied it to some information right. that is public. You can't be doing this out of your cold storage. There's an interesting way to do this with Taproot. When I do that thing that I do after every rip that we do, where I tweet about like all the stuff and all the references, I'll uh, tweet out the list. There's a way to prove using Taproot, I think Nickler and 1CKLR, mm-hmm. 
Jonas, right? From uh, Blockstream? Yeah. Yeah. He published a proof of concept of this where you can prove that you own a certain amount of uh, UTXOs at a certain block height, but mm-hmm. not associate them with the, the history of... Uh, yeah, you just... You can show the amount, but not like what the actual address is. Yeah, um, that's nice. Yeah. yeah, I'm trying to think how you That'd would be do a that. Major benefit. It, would you just have to use your own magic. full node and have it count? And I'd then... have to turn on my phone and pull up the GitHub just to uh, read it to you. We're trying to keep our phones in airplane mode to avoid the interference, so I can't do that right now. But I'll tweet it out. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty neat. Talking about Taproot. Now this is just a complete tangent. Marty had a good question yesterday that I didn't really think about. Like to get the benefits of Taproot, we're gonna have to close all our Lightning channels and reopen them. Get the benefit of PTLCs. Specifically. Yeah. yeah, the Great Migration. So, so that's, I mean, that's that's fucked. We shouldn't be opening Lightning channels right now, right? Well, and it's happening exponentially right now. Which is like, <laughs> yeah. well, like people just slow down, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm sure there will be a transition period, and there, I'm sure there will be hubs that rise up that accept incoming HTLC channels and route outbound PTLCs to mm-hmm. peers that you would like. You're not, you're still not going to get the benefits until you're native. But well, I, I think I mentioned it to you. I don't know if it was while we were recording or afterwards, but Ryan Gentry and I had a conversation last week, and they'd been talking about this at Lightning Labs, and one of the, I think the head engineers at Lightning Labs can see a potential second system, yeah, syndrome problem trying to make this migration so really thinking through it and doing it in in a in a way that d- avoids that terrible fate which would be very spooky um is is something that the engineers and community needs to figure out but there's like this meme right that's like we're supposed to be opening up lightning channels for the inevitable fee increase you know we're going to build reputation long-running lightning nodes it's a, it's a false meme, right? Yeah. Like, you can't, you, like, these, none of our lightning channels are going to really be around in five years. I mean, they can be around, but, like, alone. PTLCs are going to be better. It's like, we want that better thing, but, like... But especially if you want, like, routing fees and stuff, like, you got you to gotta upgrade, right? Yeah, and if you actually want to scale lightning, you can make the argument, too, that you need PTLCs, because that's what they were describing with AJ's proposals, that it really prevents you, when you combine it with Taproot, from needing to uh, store the whole channel state history. Uh, on your node, you can do that with much less data using Taproot and PTLCs. So it makes the ability for people to run Lightning nodes significantly easier. Strong urge to close all my channels, <laughs> <laughs> or at least a lot of them. You close the you know the majority of them, and you leave some open. Yeah, well, let's dive. Are low. Let's dive into the potential solution you just described. So people s- spin up hubs. Yeah, I'm sure there will be hub providers that you'll open up a channel to inbound and then outbound there will be ptlc to someone else but that doesn't really get you the full benefit of ptlc's not hitting on the head you're gonna have to go native at some point yeah (sighs) spooky (laughs) you want to talk about you want to talk about spooky how about i was presenting at the hrf event teaching activists bitcoin privacy and like i get off stage and i walk to the back and stefan was like you did a great job did you see the lightning vulnerability and like i pull up the lightning vulnerability on my phone i'm like can I just lose all my lightning funds right now? Like I didn't even, and then I just went and got drunk. And then the next morning, like I woke up and I was like, Oh nice. I didn't lose all my money. Um, but like that was, that was pretty, I mean, to use your word spooky. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of spooky things. How did, how is there not more funds lost on that? Like I've upgraded since then. Hopefully the upgrade wasn't a vulnerability. Maybe it highlights that they're, the authorities aren't paying attention to this as much attention or attackers. 
Right? Maybe it's, yeah. Maybe, yeah, I don't know. What does it say? What does that say? Maybe it wasn't practical at scale. Well, to start it off, the attacker needs to be able to spin up a lightning node, deposit funds into it. There's already an opportunity cost there. Now, unless he's going through Tor, remember, it's public IP address. Right. So I assume that that's part of the so problem do it right through there. Tor. Okay, so you're... Open a couple fat channels, right? They have to be a channel partner. I mean, why don't I just buy some Shiba coin? <laughs> or, Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, we got, uh, we got young Marty up from his nap. How is he doing, honey? <laughs> so I have an interesting question for you, Arbdout. So we were at BitDevs yesterday, and one of the key aspects of Bitcoin is that there's no auto-update feature because the update itself can be malicious, right? Like if someone has mm -hmm. the ability to auto-update your client, they can um, compromise you, give you an update that, that hurts you, that's malicious, right? So we don't have auto-updates. You have to update yourself. You should verify yourself. A lot of people run old clients. They're, they're slow to update by design, and that's, that's great. That's one of the cool parts about Bitcoin. At Pit Devs, uh, Buck and Ben were like, you should just, if you see an update come out for Lightning, you should just update it immediately. Like, don't even read the release notes. Like, you don't have to know what it is. You just got to update it immediately because it's like beta still. And a hot wallet. So, is there an argument to be made, which kind of spooky, that was spooky to me. What, is there an argument to be made that maybe for, for some Lightning users, they should have auto-updates enabled? Like, should they just automatically, like, if a new LND update happens, they're just node automatically updates because they're not verifying it anyway. Well, I would add, like to add more context to this before you answer. They also mentioned the inflation CV bug of 2019 uh, at the protocol level. Mm -hmm. But with that... It was minors, right? Yeah, well, the, the point I'm trying to make with that particular CV, they were like, if you are after this version... If you're between these versions, you're going to want to update. But if you're before, you don't have to. Could you do that with Lightning too? Like, like if you're running LND version X, if you're between X and Y, uh, you're going to want to upgrade. But if you're outside of that threshold before that, you're good. Um, is that possible? Because that was possible with the protocol. Well, this CV vulnerability probably. affected all LND versions. Okay. There was no range. Okay. Right with the yeah. with the potential inflation bug. It was introduced in like version 16, or right? Like and that. then it was yeah. found a couple of versions later. So there was yeah. a window. Yeah. But my point is, my point is lightning's a hot wallet. There's all these different vulnerabilities we keep finding out about. We had the one where it wasn't even checking the UTXO commitments. Um, for the vast majority of users, like if this was a really bad vulnerability, which it seems like it was, like I just would have lost all my money while I was speaking on HRF, right? Like the vast majority of users maybe Everything has trade-offs. Maybe auto-updating on Lightning makes more sense for them than doing manual updates. To me, whether you want to make that trade-off or not depends on how, many how much funds you have at stake, how many peers you have, how long-lived your channels are. It's one thing if you're just making a show-off Lightning payment for coffee for $5 every few months to say, hey... I'm part of Plebnet. And it's another thing if you're running Lightning liquidity providers as a business. If you want to take that approach of auto-updating, I'm very hesitant to recommend it to anyone. But as an example, I don't mind updating words with friends on my phone, uh, every having it set on auto-update, and I've got about $20 worth of power-ups risked on there. You know, <laughs> But like I... 
like I guess the better question is like should full node projects like Umbral, Raspberry Blitz, uh, oh. the ones that offer Lightning, should they offer an option to their users to enable auto updates for the Lightning portion? As default, not wow. as default. Okay, not as if there were. Like, should there be an option there? Because it doesn't. None of them offer the option because it's like. Even with just regular Bitcoin wallets, you shouldn't be uh, have auto update. It's always been the norm. I think my Noddle has an option to uh, save encrypted backups to uh, my Lightning state to USB, but Correct. it's hidden behind a scary message because it doesn't want to accidentally format my disks right. by getting the wrong USB. Huh. That's a good question. Should it just be a checkbox there that's just auto update Lightning? Yeah. I lean against, but if you hide it behind a modal saying, be sure you know what you're doing, all funds at risk, danger, danger, Will Robinson, then at a certain point... You but is that is that warning even accurate in that situation? Like, if you don't have the auto-update, if you're running the old L&D, your funds are at risk right now. Well, okay, here's the problem. Uh, this actually ties to a recent change we made in Bitcoin Core. We made the change from a single maintainer signing releases to multiple developers It's so signing. hard to verify it now. Right. So you have to verify 14 signatures and you can't find, I don't, I don't know where to find all the PGP keys. It's like not all in the same area. Good. It should be hard. <laughs> I mean, what's the equivalent of that for lightning? Is, are they all signed by a single maintainer with a GPGP key that you trust in your web of trust that you're checking? Well, in this trust model, like, like Keto Miner would be doing the verification if there's a noddle, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then his users under him that were all running noddles were are just trusting that he verified it, and then uh, pushed the auto update. I like Keto Miner, and he's a good guy, but I don't know about that. I'm telling you, there's a ton of node operators right now that still have not updated their nodes. Probably. Yeah. That all their funds are at risk. What? What? Yeah. What does that say? That their funds are still at risk, yet they have not been attacked. Does it just say that? Again, Lightning Network's too small. It's a community of like enthusiasts who aren't trying to attack each other. Is authorities saying, hey, yeah, this just isn't worth it this time. It's not big enough. Laziness, apathy. Questions of our day. Not enough money to steal. Yeah. It takes a competent attacker to pull this off. It's not yet at the point where a script kitty can just press a button and get funds. Yeah. Like most of the big nodes are probably updated yeah yeah no I, I, yeah i'm just like wondering or like a node like y'all's or whatever yeah like he probably updated it before the disclosure even went out yeah with all this being said like this attack was discovered this vulnerability was discovered because you have like antoine and gleb actively like looking for and attacking the network um so we have white hats if you will yeah. looking for this stuff <laughs> thank god we have them <laughs> right Thank God. I mean, just talk about something I think it was very underscored and underappreciated is like the smart fuckers building this stuff, like actually trying to attack it. And that's a crazy, like they're trying to attack it, trying to find these pain points. It is very spooky what we're talking about. Uh, some of you at home may be like, what the fuck is, is this even worth it? I mean, this was a vulnerability that was intentionally sought out. Um, we didn't hear your opinion, Marty. So like, I feel like, so uh, the, the TFTC node could be is like a perfect example, like that BTC pay server we have. Mm -hmm. Would you check off the auto update button after this vulnerability? I don't know. I'm against it. I'm against it. But it took a while for you to update it. Yeah. Um, after you saw the disclosure, how long did it take you to update it? Two days. 
Yeah. <laughs> that's a that's a long time in in disclosure land. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, I think. Yeah, against against auto update. Ah, maybe I don't know. Because like again, like that. What if you auto update to an update that's has vulnerabilities in it? That's like the whole. That's the whole reason against auto update. So you're just. Are you compounding risk there? It's tough. Are you even like solving that problem? Like you waited two days and you just clicked update. Like you didn't even. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. (laughs) Maybe it's an unsolvable problem. We're not definitely not going to solve it here right now because you have to go catch a flight. (laughs) Yep. I'm so glad that you, we all managed to find time to do this for the third time uh, right before I'm hopping on a plane. 100%, man. 100%. It's not a three-hour drunk rip, but I think it was a very good spooky rip. Just a pleasure to see you as always. Likewise. It's a pleasure to see you both here in Austin, the Bitcoin capital of the world. And I'm right. super excited for you to be working at Unchain Capital. Oh yeah, that's I guess I should. Awesome. Yeah, that's should what I was going to say. Before you leave, uh, what are you what are you looking to accomplish at Unchain? Why did you join the team, and uh, what can we expect about your book that's going to come out at some point in the future? At some point in the future, what I'm looking to accomplish at Unchained is to help Bitcoiners build products for Bitcoiners. Uh, we're building something that every Bitcoiner is eventually going to need. I think, in some capacity, collaborative custody. At the end of the day. Nobody wants to be a single point of failure, whether it's for your own cold storage or whether you're Michael Saylor or Michael Strategy. You don't want to be in the position where you're the only person, person between you and oblivion. Spreading out your trust uh, between as many as parties as, as possible is, I think, something that every Bitcoiner can benefit from. If you're a Bitcoiner looking to work with a bunch of passionate Bitcoiners at Bitcoin or only startup, please reach out to us at Unchained Capital. Uh, and I also announced, yeah, so I've been working on a book, I guess. I don't know. I'd love to hear this. Yeah. So, I mean, I've been tweeting about all this stuff for ages now, and I realized if Twitter.com goes down. Have you ever even written a Medium post? Nope. Yeah. I just ran for like 30-odd tweets in a thread. Yeah, I'm very excited to see a long-form, arbed-out uh, yeah. piece of literature. So the basic idea is, I was reading this book called The Tyranny of Email, and it's making the case against email, and it starts from, you know, the days of the Pony Express, and even before then, like the first like recorded mail services. And it was an interesting book, but it sort of made me wonder, what real relation does the United States Post Office have to, you know, mail back in the days of like Cleopatra. It's not much. You're sort of stretching to make that story. And mm-hmm. then I started asking, well, what does Bitcoin really have to do with fiat currency and the prehistory of money? That crown has been covered brilliantly by a lot of people. Saifedean's book is great. Uh, Nick Badia's book is great. Vijay Boyapati's book is great. I love all of those. Uh, that's the Bitcoin standard, layered money, and the bullish case for Bitcoin, respectively. But I thought it would be interesting to examine Bitcoin from the point of view of network protocols. So SMTP is the protocol that handles email. What can we learn from that and how it was implemented and how email com- uh, competes with regular mail? Hell yeah. Yeah. So should we put a hard deadline on him to force him to write this book? Oh man, I think I have to have something. What's pretty- the over under? By the next time we do this. By the next time oh. we do this. Yeah. That doesn't allow us to create a D- DLC. <laughs> I want a DLC. One year? You think it's going to take you longer than a year? Are you going to have me on for next Halloween? Are we doing that? We've, 
I like mean, that we switch holidays. Yeah, <laughs> I would like to do. Yeah, let's do Easter next year. <laughs> That'll really speed up the book progress. Oh, man, that's a bit early. <laughs> that, no, that was the uh, that was a joke there. The force. Dude, I mean, we would love to rip with you whenever you want to fucking rip. Yeah. Uh, see, I that, see, I yeah. That's I. I don't want to have to wait like a year to record again if 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 we feel that there's something pertinent to talk about between now and our next recording, which could be sooner than a year. Um, may, all right, let's just say Halloween next year. We'll do. Okay. We'll just do a year for the book, but we won't use that as a, it won't necessarily be the next time we talk. All right. I appreciate that. I feel like such an honored guest, you guys. You gave me the hundredth episode. You gave me the (laughs) holiday special and now I get uh, the spooky Halloween. Such a privilege. Well, we came up with like the spooky theme literally 20 seconds after hitting record. I think it's very (laughs) timely and I I thoroughly enjoy this conversation because again, like people like to knock on Bitcoiners like, Oh, they're done. Like they're boring. Like I think this episode particularly highlights the adversarial thinking approach that many Bitcoiners bring to this. Like there's not many people in the shitcoin world having these conversations. Yeah. Great. Um, Cheers to that. Well, I hope you have a safe flight. I'm more than ecstatic that you are with the unchained team and that we were able to do this before you got out of here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you especially to all the freaks who had to make it all the way through that nearly four-hour scotch-soaked shit show of a second <laughs> rip that we did. Yeah. I hope this one made up for it a little bit. Yeah, I apologize for that one, freaks. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to tease that, like, hey, this one was actually, uh, Matt didn't fall asleep in this one. Yeah, Matt's a bear, by the way. It was the only right. time I've ever fallen asleep in an episode for us. <laughs> Stay humble, take naps. Took like a 45-minute nap right in the middle of the episode. You act like that's something to be proud of. <laughs> you know, we've done a lot of episodes, you know? Should be, are, are other podcasters falling asleep? <laughs> we had so much steak. We had we had high, copious amounts of whiskey, and I, I think it was the first time I saw both of you since after since COVID yeah, happened. Yeah, that, that was, was great. F- I really so I got very that. excited. Yeah, it was the first in person we had since COVID started. Um, and the price was like seventeen k, and almost a year later, we're sitting at like sixty k, and people are like, "Oh my god, Bitcoin crashed!" Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> weird. Like we couldn't fathom sixty. We couldn't fathom. I was talking to Arbed out before you came out here. We couldn't fathom that our next show in a year, because that one was at his apartment, on the floor with no chairs. Um, that was it was going to be on your screened-in studio porch in Austin, Texas. Yeah, yeah. What? How fucking crazy year, man. Crazy year. Here we are. Cheers yeah. to that. Cheers, guys. Peace and love, freaks.